Brendan O'Connor on RTE Radio 1, sponsored by Timber Living Log Cabins. For your perfect workspace, living space or hideaway, timberliving.ie. Pat Feeling, good morning. Morning, Brendan. Uh, now, Pat, people know you as a businessman. You made millions on a tech startup. Then you co-founded the uh, Sisu Cosmetic Medicine Clinics. Your latest venture is Limbo, which is kind of a tech-driven weight loss program. And we'll come to all that. But you posted last week about being sober 23 years now. Congratulations. Thanks very much. Kind of a long time, a day at a time. Yeah, yeah. Um, I know it was AA changed everything for you. Do you remember the day you first walked into that small room in Patrick's Hill? I do. I walked into the hill on the 17th of January uh, 2000. It was, uh, if you remember, we were all worried about the Big Bang back then. And I walked up the hill, but I... Like, you know, a thing I don't talk about is I'd been three, three and a half, nearly four years trying to walk in there or try, sorry, trying to stay there yeah. before that. Okay. Okay. Uh, so it didn't work straight away for you then? Didn't work straight away. I kind of wasn't ready myself. Kind of, I, I think you need to hit this imaginary rock bottom. Not everybody does, but uh, there was kind of a more of a fight in me. So yeah. I decided to battle on it like, and... I suppose that was an impossible time because it's very hard to drink when you know you're an alcoholic. Okay, so so it's it's ju- it's a cross. It's a, it's kind of a cross, it. you know. Your brain switches. This is bad for me. I'm doing terrible things. XXX, and you're going. You know, I should stop. And then I, you know, I got days. I got weeks. I got a few months, and drank again every time. Okay. So you must hate yourself. Oh, yeah, you're in bits because every time you wake up, you go, how did this happen again? Why? And then it's back to back to the same faces. You're a failure, you know. But like I kept going back and people kept welcoming me as if it was day one. (laughs) And and I, I remember this bunch of people who were really good to me. And some are dead now and some are alive. But I used to work down the street in this restaurant and when I wasn't going, they used to come in every night after the A meeting for food. And I'd be downstairs probably drinking. You're, they're upstairs. And I remember the waitresses would come down and they'd say, your friends are upstairs. And I'd be trying to sneak out the back door to avoid them, you know. Yeah, a lot of shame there. Loads yeah. of shame around it, you know, and not enough talk about it as well. Like, I put that up on social media this week I put it up every year and I I had four calls from people this week how do I how can I start going to A what's the best way forward for me and I would long call with a, a a lovely lady the other day and you can just hear it you know yeah when did you start drinking late kind of you know I was never like a big drinker my father was a publican I saw I saw alcoholism at a, you know growing up in the pub in the south side of Cork Balafian you know, there was lots of very working class, loads of drinking. Nobody went to work on Mondays. And I, I'd seen that and I always thought, like, this isn't for me. And I kind of started, you know, I, I I probably started drinking to get over a kind of a terminal shyness. You know. Really? Yeah. I'm, I wrote a thing about it the other day. I'm the most extroverted introvert I know. <laughs> it's hard for me, you know. Yeah. Do a lot of Irish people drink because of shyness, do you think? Is that part of it? I think there's a couple of things. Like, heredity is a big thing. I believe, you know, that it's in the genes. I think shyness, you know, 
girls, clubs, pubs, whatever, you know, trying to meet people. It's seen as, you know, I kind of live in the States now and here. So it's a mix and I kind of see it as, you know, everything revolves around the pub. And and it doesn't there, you know. Yeah. Uh, it's less so here, maybe, as time goes on. Yeah, yeah. well, I'm, I, I'm gone a long time now, yeah. so that career is finished. Yeah. What kind of a drinker were you? Were you when you drank? Were you social and gregarious? No, and all that? no. I was a pest. Drink what do you to mean drink, by that? drink to fall over, like you know what I mean. It was for effect, not for enjoyment. So kind of you, o- oblivion was ultimately oblivion what was, you were yeah, looking for. Yeah, was forget, it? not good from the start. Yeah. Not from the start. No, it crept up. Not actually, not for a long time. Yeah, and I kind of crept up in my late twenties, and so. Was there a period where you were having a ball like and where you ah, There was a period where I was having a good time and I was as sociable as all my mates and I'd have a few pints and everything and then it kind of became a crutch and then it became a necessity. Okay. And it was the necessity part was a horrific part, you know. So how did it develop from being a part of your life into being your life? I'd say I started off as a butcher and... As a trade, like I'm probably hated it. I'm probably the most useless butcher in Ireland. It's a, and still probably am. Um, and then that place went bust, and I started working for my dad in pubs. And then I started working in pubs and clubs, and it was all all was there, all was around me, you know. And it, I suppose, like everything else, it became yeah, you know, you you develop good habits and bad habits, and I developed a really bad habit. So, yeah, what's the difference between it being like something that you have under control and then it becoming I, a very I think bad for me, habit? I remember someone in AA, you know, because you're always, like at the start, people are always asking, but am I an alcoholic? Yeah. I remember someone in AA saying to me, if it costs you more than money, you've got a problem. Okay. And, you know, it cost me way more than money. What was it costing you? Life. I lost, you know. I lost 15 years. You know, I lost an awful lot of time. I lost an awful lot of development. I never kind of grew up. Caused an awful lot of pain, as you can imagine, to everyone. But like caused the most, uh, people forget, you cause the most pain to yourself. I think people like, you know, a great story someone told me years ago about someone who was, you know, sitting on Patrick's Bridge, which we won't know well, got sober, came to A, got sober and, you know, became, you know, really solid person in A and went back drinking, was back in the bridge all within a couple of years. And you're thinking, who would want to do that to themselves? If there was a choice involved, mm. who would really pick? You know, I and, I and I know we're in this kind of people begging kind of news running asylum seekers, but who choose to sit on the bridge? Who makes that choice? No one. Okay. So there is no choice. There's no choice. It's there waiting for you. You know, and I know if I if I took a drink today, I'd be back to not the start, I'd be back to the end. Yeah, yeah. So it was waiting for you all the time, was it? Definitely, without a doubt. Shyness quiet, introverted, like it it was kind of like there was something waiting. So did you hit a kind of rock bottom then? Yeah, 2000, uh, 
the night of the famous Big Bang, um, got oblivious drunk. And uh, I remember waking up. And I don't think I've talked about this before, but I remember waking up in my living room uh, at 4 a.m. and not knowing whether it was 4 a.m. or 4 p.m. on the sofa and it was snowing in the house. Oh, my God. Snowing in the house. and it, But I was awake. Are you convinced oh, it yeah. is? No, no, I could see it. I can still see it. And it was snowing in the house. And uh, I remember, like, you know, tapping your head, thinking, cop yourself on now, Pat. You'll be fine, you know, steady up. I remember getting up and walking out into the hall and I could actually hear the noise as I was hitting the snow. You know, how you, your feet yeah. sounds in snow. And then I walked up and I looked at the stairs and there was... I was trying to think then, is it static mites or static tights hang up or down? And they were all down the stairs. My head was gone. So is that psychosis? Yeah. Yeah. And you'd never had anything Never, like ever, before? ever. A wet yeah. brain, whatever. Visions, imagination. But I was wide awake and I can still remember it clearly. Okay. So that gave you the fright. That was the kind of thing like, look, you're at the end here. And... Uh, Went to So, you were in pain for... Probably ten, 10 to 15 years. And is it constant pain? It's constant because, like, you think about it, like, it becomes the thing. I could be here with you, but I'm still thinking about, well, it's half 11. Can I be in the leopard stone for 12 do I know anyone there? Do I need to go places where people don't know me? Because I know I'm going to get messy and I'm going to get drunk and I don't want people to see me like that. And then you're tortured. Everyone is looking at me. And in the end, for me, it was kind of secretive drinking because I couldn't drive. I was incapable of... I didn't want... You know, I'd walk into a pub and I'd open a newspaper. Don't look at me. I don't want to talk to you. I want to drink. And you knew that every time you drank, that the outcome was going to be bad, that it was going to be a mess. Yeah, it was never good. Ever. For the last 10 years, it was never good. Yeah. And you're kind of, you know, at that stage then, and plus mix that in now with having been to eight, knowing you're an alcoholic, and you're kind of thinking to yourself, everyone knows, everyone's looking at me, I'm from a decent family, and yet here I am. And I'd say people kind of said, the other thing is, you know, you know what happens a lot with alcoholics? I'd say people kind of think that people are saying they're a pity. Yeah. And you're thinking like that then as well. And like you couldn't get any lower, you know, lower than a snake's belly in yourself. Yeah. And you were from a decent family, yeah. you know, and, and like, what was their uh, approach to it all? Trying, trying, trying. Never gave up. Put hands up in the air eventually, you know. I mean, it, it's difficult. It's very hard. To, it's it's very hard. To com- it's very hard for a non-addictive person, addicted person, to think what's going on in, addict- in an addicted person's head. And is there anyone people can, do, anything people can do? I found it to be amazing. Uh, so nobody around you can really do anything for you. No. You're better off with people who can kind of, you know, understand you. And they've the other thing is like they've gone through that. Yeah. You know, there's people like who like 
insanely good to me. Like, insane. I, I went to, like, when I went back, I knew the game was up. I knew it was a major trouble. And I went to two meetings a day for the first 90 days. Every day. And when you're in that situation, I presume, does it help with the shame? Like, do you say all the... You talk the about it. You've got, like, Lord in a snake's belly, yeah. but everyone else in there has been Lord in a snake's belly. Everyone else too. has had the exact same experience. So you're, you're actually among people that you can talk frankly. Yeah. Like, I remember the first day I went in and I said, that's it, I'm done. I'm going to be really good here. And there's a great friend of mine, he's dead now, and uh, he said, uh, we were keeping the seat warm for you here, you know that. No, he said, put on the kettle and wash the ashtrays. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you think you're going to be f- kind of almost fated with open arms? Yeah. That's kind yeah. of everyone's the same. It's a great leveller. Yeah, yeah. So what happens then? So so you, 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 uh, you're off the drink and presumably your whole life is in ribbons around you. You had to start again, did you? Like I was 35 or something. Nothing. With the maturity of what, an 18-year-old? Probably a 20-year-old, early 20s, you know, because your development has stopped. And uh, decided, you know, I'll have to fix things here to get, you know, I'd nothing, you know, I have to get back on. I remember I used to have a Fiat Uno that you pushed the bear mats down. Do you remember when the window (laughs) was You take out the bear mat to leave the window down. And uh, and that, that's the amazing thing, you know what I mean? This is like, this is a good story. Yeah. You know, it's not a bad story. It's a good story, how people can recover and how, you know, AA and NA and all these have a policy of attraction, not promotion. I think that's really... Meaning? That the positivity is in, you know, people can see people getting better and that's the attraction to okay. programs like these. So uh just work with this guy, Jim Ryan. A place called Taste of Thailand in Bridge Street in Cork. Oh, yeah. And uh, I was the head chef there. And nobody could get chefs. And we started a recruitment agency. And we bought restaurant workers uh, from Bangladesh, India, Pakistan, Malaysia to work all over Ireland. And that went well. And uh, they wanted to make phone calls and inter- and do internet. And I'd seen one in London or something. I opened a tiny little internet cafe 200 square feet in McCurtain Street and it grew from there and then then they wanted to make phone calls from home and I couldn't keep the places open 24-7 so I came up with this idea for phone cards and then became really big at phone cards and like it sounds mad but it's kind of a logical progression and then um, the phone cards were a huge success Ireland, England, France Denmark etc and uh, I used to be travelling all the time and I'd have a mobile phone and, you know, people forget the roaming bills. So I said, there must be a way to end roaming. And I built this company called Cubic Telecom, which is now out in Sandyford, hundreds of employees. I sold that. And I had a huge problem at Cubic with fraud, internet fraud, which no one knew what internet fraud was at mm-hmm. the time. And myself and this guy, Chris Kennedy, who I used to work with, said, I wonder, can we solve that? And uh, we built this company called Trustive. And Trustive, um, we built it up. I moved to New York. 
uh, scaled it up to a very big business. And I sold it about five or six years ago to the American Credit Bureau. And that was just exceptional. Like that changed everything. We sold it for nearly 40 million. Okay, so <clears throat> I, people will be wondering in terms of this turnaround. First, did you know you had that you were an entrepreneur, that you had this entrepreneurial there was kind no of one mindset? From behind, an entrepreneur. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you would see well, the you would see these problems, and you go, maybe we can fix that. I wonder, could I fix this? And it's kind of that's what I had, but like I was very technical because I had a computer in. I had a computer in 80, 1980. I'd CB radios in 77, where I'd be, drove my mum and dad mad with 40-foot antennas on the roof and fellas getting shocked off the electricity lines and fire brigades being called. So I was always kind of tinkering with technology, and I love it. But, like, as in entrepreneurial, not really. You know, I like, that's kind of become, you know what I mean? If you said to a fella... In 1980 or 90, are you going to be an entrepreneur? They think you were French or something. You know? <laughs> yeah, or a chancer. <clears throat> Come here, did the experience of having been to hell and back and all that, does that give you a certain kind of, I don't know, a courage or, or, or a fearlessness to go for these things? Well, no, it does because, you know what I mean, the money's been made. Yeah. So if I actually have an idea, I can actually put some money in. Like, I, I had an idea a few weeks ago, something stupid. And, you know, I was able to say, oh, I wonder would that work? And just throw a few quid at it for some guy to research it. And the same now, you know, like Trustive is done, Cubic is done. Now we're on to Sisu. OK, so now I think a lot of people, I certainly was surprised. So you made, you made was it 44 million from Trustive, right? Yeah, a gang and of us made it. Yeah, like. yeah, OK, yeah. But like you're well set up and everything. Nice so you, you can do what you want <laughs> next. The point is I don't kind of care about that stuff. Money doesn't, you know what I mean? I go away. Listen, I have a watch and a car. Yeah. There's no Barbados. There's no gaff in Spain. It's 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 not my kind Why not? Of, it's not my thing, like. Do you enjoy the money at all? Uh, not really. No. Yeah, I mean, they say, the, the they la- say about entrepreneurs that the money is a way of keeping score, basically. The lads in Sisu are always slagging me because, like, if, genuinely, if I took out 100 quid on Monday, I probably wouldn't spend it. Okay. So a you're co- tight, like? <laughs> 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 they'd, be saying, they'd be saying in Cork they'd be saying that's oh, why he still, ha- that's why he still has it <laughs> that's why he still has it so, no no I would, I'd definitely not type but yeah. uh, I just kind of there's a great friend of mine who's a very famous entrepreneur from Cork and she tells me we probably made it too late okay yeah yeah you know what I mean if if it was younger like I'm at every one of my friends will tell you you know what I mean I love Porsche I've loved Porsche since I was a kid. Yeah. And like every year now, this is the year now I'm going to buy it. No. And I was slagging Neil Prendiver. I met him the other day and he's 9 11. Yeah. I said, midlife crisis. <laughs> <laughs> so, speaking of midlife crisis, then it was kind of odd, I thought, that the next business you came out with then was uh, Botox Clinics, essentially. It, it was very interesting. And, and, and it was in my creation, like my best friend. Dr. James Cotter, we've been friends for years and his brother started this and 
They're amazing guys. And they started it and did two or three clinics. And I started looking at it. And James would ring me, you know. The odd time, I was in New York at the time. Hey, I'm doing a website there. Do you know anyone? I'm doing this there. And I was going, jeez, this thing seems to be tipping along. And I was in New York and it was kind of, excuse me, the early days of the Kardashians and Soul Cycle and this. I was, I was, I was thinking to myself, there's kind of a move here towards wellness and beauty. Yeah. And I came back and I started talking to them more and more. And the more I got into it, the more I think this thing is actually scalable. Because up to now, scalable to me was at a server, which was free until you used it. And, you know, get another engineer. And, and we started and we raised some money. The same people, Liam Casey, Dan Kiley, Linda Kiley, the, okay. sa- the same bunch of people. And, and, and now we've like, we, there's was, James and Brian's thing was called Visage and it was brilliant. And then we started CISU together, the three of us. And now we've got nearly 20 clinics in Ireland, two in New York, two in Miami, one in Belfast. Not only do I know someone in Belfast, I work with someone <laughs> in Belfast. Yeah. Uh, three in London. We opened one in Richmond, just a beautiful clinic. And we opened in Houston in two weeks' time. And we opened in Brooklyn four weeks after that. And we opened in Fort Lauderdale about 10 weeks after that. So it's it's a brand that was built in Cork, invented in Dublin, actually, by a fantastic company called New World, who do all my branding. And... That's worldwide. I don't think it's been done before physically, you know. Yeah, okay. So there's no one else with a, a big big chain like this? Uh, there's a few big chains, but they're doing lots of stuff. Okay. We tend to concentrate on Botox and profile on all these things and injectables. And we're all doctors. Sorry, they're, yeah, all, they're, doctors. they're all doctors. Are you a patient? Do you get, I do, you, I do. Yeah, yeah, I do. What I do got you Profilo get? yesterday. What's that now? Profilo is um, it's like a skin booster. Okay. It's like getting a vitamin for your skin. Okay, so a plumping kind of thing? It, it, it doesn't change at all. It just puts a load of collagen inside your skin. It's amazing. And I, and I get Botox in my forehead. Okay. And do you feel better for that? Do you do? I do because I think, I, th- I think what happens is the market has changed dramatically over the last few years. Botox years ago was from old people wanting to look younger. Botox now is for people wanting to look better. And I think that's what's really changed. Are we not locked into it then though if you start having it like you have to keep having it and well you don't have to keep having it but you know if you get it it, it's gone in Botox is gone in 90 days okay so do you worry you're contributing to a kind of a a lookist culture or whatever where people won't age gracefully and all that kind of thing I I think what's happened is if if you the people it's a question I'm asked a lot actually if you think about Lemur and Sudocreme and I love you, Leigh, and all the things your mom and my mom bought for years and years that are now L'Oreal, which are now probably trillion dollar companies. Yeah. Are they contributing as well? But they, and, and so they make you, no I, change. You think this is the, just the next generation? I think the next this. generation, millennials, are way more science driven. If you were to say to a millennial, here's a cream to take away wrinkles, they would say that's Botox. <laughs> Yeah, okay. And then um, tell me tell me about Limbo. Not a big ad for it. No, no, like, no. It's, no, a, it's listen, an unusual kind of a... It's, 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 it's bonkers. Yeah. 
This was a guy in Cork, you probably know Tony Martin. He owns a gym. He's been training for years uh, in Cork. I know Mr. the name, Mr. Universe, yeah. etc., or Mr. Ireland. I wanted to get fit, really fit, when COVID came along because I was locked indoors. And did a, did a, there used to be a checkpoint down the bottom of the road, but they didn't stop bikes, so I bought a bike and I cycled past the checkpoint and I'd go in and meet Tony three days a week and he'd prick my finger and he'd take my blood score, blood sugars, and he'd say, great, yeah, you're holding up great. And I was thinking, this is, this is kind of silly. I'm losing weight. Why am I losing weight? I'm not changing my habits dramatically. I'm just figuring out stuff that doesn't work for me. So I said, I wonder, can we build a tech solution around this? So I got this guy, Jason Ryan, who worked for me at Trustev, Rorick Bradfrey, who worked for me at Trustev, and we built a platform. And now we've got to- oh, thousands of users. And the basis users. of it is that you can, it's, if it's, you it, monitor your blood device. sugar levels. It's, it's in my arms right, right here. It's, it's telling my phone what my blood sugars are, 24 7, 365. Based upon that, you're identifying things that work for you and don't work for you. And this thing is giving you nudges. So it'll tell you you shouldn't have had that, that dinner there wasn't great kind of thing, is a it? A simple one. Do you know what it'll tell you? The easiest thing in the world, greatest, the greatest thing it taught me in the last few weeks, besides get up and move, that was good training, that was bad training. That, um, coffee with oat milk is full of sugar. The oats are full of sugar, whereas coffee with almond milk has no sugar. So... Right. And that's natural sugars now I'm talking about. So, like, I went, I done the dog over Christmas, the same as everybody else. Went back at it heavy on the 8th of January. Today's the 19th. I haven't changed my diet. I haven't changed my training. And I'm down four kgs. So it's tw- it tweaks you along. Yeah. Tweaks me there. along. Gives me this tiny bit of advice. Hey, that's a bad choice. This is a good choice. Do this next and no, no exercise, 20 minute walks. I listen, you know, it sounds like you're, you're peddling miracles. No, I'm not. But come here, do we ever think a fella from Balfe Hannaby on the radio <laughs> telling people, oh, don't, don't stay away from the oat milk, you need, it's the almond milk. Well, listen, you need. the best yeah. thing about it, Shaquille O'Neal, the basketball player, just took a large chunk of it invested. So the fella from Balfe is hanging out in the phone calls with Shaquille <laughs> O'Neal. Do you still go to meetings? I do. You need to go, yeah. It it flattens me out because one of the problems I have in sobriety, or one of the problems I recognise very easily, I don't suffer from the lows. I suffer from the highs. Okay. I get too excited, and it just modulates me. Is that the word? Okay. Were you, was part of you drinking so as well to kind of keep down, tamp down the mania, mm-hmm. yeah? Yeah. It's funny, you have this absolute turns nearly, you know, you're too, yeah. following day, you're too low. Yeah. Then it goes away and you're too high. And this thing kind of, you know, I, I, I keep quoting people, there's another yeah. great friend of mine, he says, you know, Sober now a long, long time. And he said, you know, it gave me the wings to fly, but it took away the sky. That's kind of it. Okay. And would you still have an urge ever to have no, a drink? No, not for... I, I, I'm blessed in that. Loads of my friends who go to A would be, you know, avoiding pubs and avoiding so. It yeah. doesn't bother me in the least. I'm blessed. I can go to a pub 
I can go to an event. Now, I'm always first to leave with the old Irish goodbye, you know? Yeah, but, yeah. But I know when it's my time. I know when I've done enough time. What would you say to anyone listening now if this is kind of, if this conversation has pricked a little something in them? If there's something bothered, just for me, I think the best way forward is aiding for everybody. There's loads of solutions out there. But a great first step is to try find out if you have a problem. And I'd go to Google, look up open meetings of AA, open meetings of NA. Anyone can attend. These are, you'll never be called to speak. And just have a listen and see if you can identify. See if anything those be three people talk about bears any relationship to your life. Okay. So Pat, all that happened for you through that one simple decision, yeah? Guaranteed. Guaranteed. I'll be dead. I've no doubt... People always ask me that. Do you think, oh, maybe something would have happened? It wouldn't. Nothing would have happened. Jim Ryan and Taste of Thailand would have eventually gotten fed up with me. Yeah. You know, the same as everybody else. Yeah, yeah. I always think the difference between that guy in the bridge and and you and me. What, luck? Or a bit of luck. Luck, an arm's length. An arm's length. That's the difference. Yeah, okay. Listen, I think that's resonating with with a lot of people. Um... Pat and a lot of people who've who've been in that that awful cycle that you were in, like of the like avoiding friends, oblivion drinking, and and but a lot of people thirteen years sober, one texted here, another one 21, 21 years sober, um, lo- lo- lots and lots yeah. of people. I know that's COVID didn't Corvette, help lots either, Brendan, people. as you know. Yeah, for yeah. secretive drinking because yeah, you're not you know I can't come over for four months and you're well able to hide it, you know. Yeah, yeah. All right. Pat, thanks, thanks very much. Text 51551. Brendan O'Connor on RTE Radio 1.